this morning, this is Yemi, my wife, we're doing this thing together. So we'll be carrying on on, um, on our series. Um, we've been exploring how to live as God, um, glorifying disciples of Jesus um, by being shaped by the word of God rather than the, the world we're living um, last week, James was speaking to us about sex, romance, and the mystery of marriage. And, and today, myself and Yemi are looking to the reality of living a gospel-shaped marriage day in and day out. Um, 1 Peter 2.5 says, You yourself, like living stones, have been built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Um, we're a community that we've just been reminded a few minutes ago. Um, I want to recognize um, in this audience today um, that not everybody is married. Not everybody is single. You might have been married and then no longer married for different reasons. I want to let you know today that um, this talk is not in any way or shape to condemn you. The word of God does not condemn. It, ex it encourages, it inspires you. So whether you're single, whether you're married, um, because we live in a family community, we have different call in this season of life. You might be called to marriage, you might be called to being single, you're, you're called at the moment that you're divorced or you're a widow. Or, but we want every person in the family to thrive in the things of God. You know, we spoke about singleness, you know. Not everybody is single, but we want single people to thrive in the giftings of God and what God has promised us. We're being built up together and we learn to grow together. The word of God is living and is active and it should be what is shaping us, not the culture that we live in. Um, more than ever before, uh, in the age we live in, marriages are under attack and um, we just encourage each one of us that we need to take our stand and fight for our marriages because um, the ultimate is that the, the, our marriage will reflect the story of, of, ch of Christ and his church and, and we need to do everything godly possible to, do, to make that happen for us. Um, because we're not in the world, um, because we're not of the world, we're in the world, it doesn't mean that we're immune to every challenge, every even non-Christian marriage face. So we will go through the same trial. But being in the world, not of the world, means that our marriages will be different, how we handle the challenges of life. So basically, that's what we want to be talking to about. Um, my prayer is that... Um, uh, the Holy Spirit will strengthen our resolve to build homes that bring glory to our God. Amen. So I'm just going to tell you a little bit about us, um, just to kickstart. We've been married now 
for 28 years, going to be 29 years in October. We got married as Christians, and then we came to live in the UK. Um, so we practically took that word, live and cleave, literally. So we left Nigeria and we came to the UK. And um, yes, we blessed with three children, all girls, born within a space of five years. So we uh, were very busy. Um, we've been through very hectic seasons of childhood, so we understand what that's like. We've been through teenage years, and now they're all young adults. They're all in their 20s. And I think we're supposed to be in the empty net season right now. But no. <laughs> because our nest is still very full. Two of them have left, gone to uni, and they're back living with us. They work in London, and the third one has the same plan to do the same. So I don't know what the hopes of having an empty nest. Um, and so we thank God that we didn't keep our lives on hold. We kept living, we're still living, and we're not waiting until they leave, leave the house. So seasons have come and gone as they do, the highs and the lows, the ups and the downs, the wonderful times, the struggles. However, the constant through all the seasons has been God's, God's faithfulness, and we can testify to that. We're by no means experts on marriage. Please don't think that's why we're standing here, because we're not. Um, but we have learned many things over the past 28 years, sometimes a very hard way. And we're still learning and we're still changing. But we've come to two conclusions along our journey. The first one is that no marriage is made in heaven. A great marriage needs to be worked at. Neither is it about having a perfect mate. I don't think there's a perfect mate out there. Even if you thought they were, once you start living together, you realize they're not perfect. <laughs> For us as children of God, it's about the greater one that lives in us, being central in our marriages. And um, I think a quote from uh, this lady called Sheila Ray Gregory sums it up nicely. It says, I, know when, I hope when people look at my marriage, they don't think she has a great marriage because she chose the right guy, or he has a great marriage because he chose the right woman. I hope they realize they have a great marriage because they chose God. We have no story outside of God. And the second thing we've learned is that because marriage is God's invention and not, God's, and not man's idea, we need to know, to know how to do marriage. We need to look to the creator. It's absolutely necessary for us to go to the manual he's provided for us, which is the Bible, to find out how to do marriage properly and to look to the help of our living counsel of the Holy Spirit. Second Peter 1-3 tells us that his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. In other words, how to do marriage, God has given us the means to do it, and it's through his word. And it's just like being provided with a DIY manual when you buy a new pack of things. And if you're like my husband, he doesn't look at the manual until it goes wrong. <laughs> and then... Sometimes it's costly consequences, but we shouldn't be like that with our marriages. We need to look into the word of God to see what the Bible says. And we do know that we're very diverse this morning. Like Dario has just said, some of us have been married as Christians. Some of us became Christians during marriage, after being married. For some of us, our spouses are not even Christians. There will be some here that have been married a few years. Some of us married for decades. Some are enjoying their marriage, some probably struggling. There will be some going through painful and difficult times. But the wonderful news is that God's grace is sufficient for us. And thankfully, that grace is not dependent on our circumstances. Because we are in Christ, we are new creation. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Our past no longer controls us. It no longer has a hold on us. It has been forgiven. 
Our future is secure in God. And our present does not have to be shaped by our past or what we're going through. We are people defined by grace. Every aspect of our lives, including our marriage, needs to be defined by grace. We have been changed at the core of who we are. And we are being made to be like Jesus. And one day we will see him face to face. But right now we are being transformed to become more like him. And Romans 12 too tells us not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we may discern what is the will of God. And so today as we carry on with this series, James challenged us at the beginning to stop and think. And that's why we want to challenge you this morning as we go through these um, things we're going to be talking about. Stop and think, to stop and think. We're a journey living in God's big story. And this world is not our final destination. So along the way, we need to take time, or rather make time, to assess where we're at. Because if you're going on a journey and you take a wrong turn, you're not just going to keep going. You need to check the sat-nav and make sure, otherwise you'll be going in the wrong direction for a very long time. And so we need to assess and ask ourselves questions. And that's how we can make the necessary shifts we need to align our lives with the Word of God, which is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And gives us instructions of how to live. So, we know the word of God should influence us about how we think about marriage. But we know that in reality that doesn't really happen. There are other influences that impact our marriages. And we just want to mention three of them before we go into what the word of God says. And the first one is about is the preconceived ideas. How many people here went into marriage with preconceived ideas? I did. <laughs> you fantasy land. Living happily ever after. Nothing is ever going to go wrong. He's always going to be happy. You're never going to have arguments. Well, the truth is, marriage at its best is wonderful. And at its worst, it's very disappointing. But most marriages have a bit of both, both at different times. I remember when I first got married, I could not be more shocked and the number of conflicts that came my way the very first year of marriage. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it wasn't easy. It definitely wasn't wonderful. It was like a revelation. It was like, wow, this man does not know me at all. He doesn't even understand me. But the thing is, it was true though. But the reality is the process of living and cleaving and becoming one, it takes energy, it takes time, it takes effort, it takes a lot of emotions. But most times they're not prepared for that reality. And because it doesn't line up with the fantasy ideas that we thought marriage was going to be like. Secondly, family history. Um, our upbringing, what we're exposed to when we're growing up affects how we think about marriage. What we see our parents do. And I asked Daya this question. How did, uh, what impact did your parents' marriage have on you? He said none. <laughs> And I said, I reminded him, I said, I remember how your dad used to treat your mom when I, um, when I started coming to, to your home. And I, I said, I surely must have made an impact. But anyway. <laughs> but for me, um, my, my dad died when I was about three years old. And um, I was raised by my mom. She never got married again. And there was five of us. And she was pregnant with my younger sister when our dad died. And so... Um, she was very hardworking. She was very independent and very driven, as you can imagine, and not emotional at all. And so I'm aware of that in my life sometimes, how I react to things. Um, and I know 
in the early stages of our marriage, that, that usually played a fact because I wasn't emotional about anything um, sometimes. And I always have to make a conscious effort to discard the good things I learned from her and to take hold of the good. And so it's the same for all of us. What we see growing up has an impact of us, whether we realize it or not. But it's not what's supposed to control how we do marriage. And the third one is our culture, the worldview of marriage. So we, um, we read in um, 2 Timothy 3, 1 to, to 5, telling us about, I mean, if this even came through in our worship, the ungodliness of, or the godlessness of the season we live in. It says, it says but understand that in the last days, um, there will be, there will come times of difficulty for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying the power. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, avoid such people. Uh, in understanding the season we're living, remember James was reminding us last week that um, uh, marriage that used to be an institution that a lot of people embrace um, has had a, a, a drastic change. And the attitude is that um, in our current culture is that marriage is mistaken, um, uh, dated, and, and offensive. However, in spite of all of those, um, God's word hasn't changed. We know we recognize as a major shift. Uh, modern culture will, um, will have us to believe that everyone has, uh, everyone has a soulmate, that romance is, is, is the most important part of a successful marriage, that marriage does not mean till death do us part, but merely for us, as long as our needs are being met, and when serious differences arise, divorce is the best solution. So we live in a very liberal culture. There used to be a time that when you go to a, a wedding ceremony, it's sacred. But now it's just like a social event. Some people even won't come to the church wedding. They will come to the reception. And um, these are the things that has also crept in, not only just the world, but crept in, in into the church. Marriage is no longer viewed as an absolute for couples who want to live together and have children. Um, uh, there's, this has also affected the definition of roles of men and women. We live in uh, times of change. Uh, women are more, uh, they have economic liberty now than they have, and they have political voice. And, and, and so sometimes in a marriage relationship, um, what the media is saying, what the world is saying, is putting check in, even in our marriage relationship. I had somebody say that um, if you're in a relationship, if you're a man and you're, um, and you're, you're in your, your role as a man in the house, is you're misplaced in that relationship. What that means is that the woman herself is, um, 
displaced. So these are the things that we need to be careful of when we're, you know, understanding the culture that we live in. Um, and, and, and as Christians, Christians who are married, we, we should be able to entertain some of this question, an ongoing conversation, whether it be in areas of dealing with money, whether it be communication, or how we are raising our children. We need to be able to understand um, what are the things that are influencing our marriage. Is it what we're hearing in the world, or the word of God is actually influencing our home? Um, so I will come to what the word of God actually says, rather than the, the chaos we've seen around us in the world, um, in order to live as God's glorifying disciples of Jesus and live and not be shaped by our culture, we need to be shaped by the word of God. James reminded us, you know, even last week, that marriage is, is God's idea, that um, marriage is not man's invention. So God invented marriage, and we should be looking, just like Yemi said, into the manual, the Bible, to know how to do marriage. I want us to look at Hebrews 13, verse 4. Hebrews 13, verse 4. If the context of Hebrews chapter 13 is about sacrifices to God that are pleasing to God. That's the context. He talked about um, hospitality. He talks about visiting prisoners. Um, he talks about brotherly love. But then on the fourth verse, he says, let marriage be held in honor and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So when I go to marry to Yemi in October 19, October 19, 1991, <laughs> it was a marriage that people attended, but the marriage were the objects. But So I, I made confession before men, like she did. But we did that in the presence of God. Ecclesiastes 4.12 talks about a three-fold cord that cannot be easily broken. So if I'm to offer a sacrifice pleasing to God, this scripture says to me, that marriage is honorable. I'm not married to God, I'm married to her. So there's a transaction that is happening between me and God that means that for me to be honoring to God, I will be honoring my wife. It's just a concept that has helped me. Marriage is honorable. And then it goes to Mark chapter 10. I want to read from verse 5 to 9. And Jesus said to them, because of your hardness of heart. They were, this is a question about marriage and, and, and uh, about divorce. And Jesus says, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses wrote you the commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one one flesh. Well, therefore, God has joined together. Let no man separate. God uses, Jesus uses the word joined together and, and separate. What well, God has joined together. 
It's not God that will separate, it's man that will separate. And the word Jesus was referring to here is that for you to separate, it's going to be like an amputation. I have siblings who have been married that are divorced. I know how painful it is. And so for you to separate, literally, if you, if you recommend, for, for, I know that some situation require that divorce happen to save the remaining thing, to save somebody's life. But in such extreme circumstances, even though it happens, it is painful. So in a community, let us understand that even as married couples or single, if we, we should come alongside some of us who are going through a divorce or have been divorced. Um, and, and on that word, finally, I want to look at 1 Peter 3, 7. It says, likewise, husband, live with yourself, um, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of, of life, so that the, your prayers may not be hindered. Now, living, living with our wife in an understanding way, we want to talk about the different stages of life. Now, when Peter wrote this letter, the world Peter was living in there, this kind of statement was anti-cultural. Because in those days, the man just has control of the marriage. So what the statement Peter is making in here is not about the physical, it's not about the spiritual weakness of the woman, but the physical weakness. And it's, it's not, and it doesn't mean that the woman is less spiritual than the man. He's just saying to honor your wife, in knowing your wife, know the weakness that she has physically imposed upon her, either by where the community or the social climate they live in. And the other aspect is that, you know, if you've been married with somebody, they don't stay the same for a long time. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm in a season in my life now that um, it doesn't matter the temperature outside. When I come into my room, my room, somebody's body does not know whether it's cold sometime or whether it's hot. So we have this heater in our room. So I, when I'm coming, I'm just hoping, I hope, the, I hope my wife's body is reflecting the temperature now. Sometimes when I go in, the place is hot, you're sweating, and I come in and I'm thinking my wife is wearing a jacket, I'm thinking, what's... so they call it menopause. Okay, all right. <laughs> okay, so how then should we live? Thanks, Dario. Um, how then do we live now as God glorifying disciples of Jesus in our marriages? The first thing is that we live for his glory. We were made for God's glory. We were created by God, for God. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And in Isaiah 43, verse 7, it says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I founded, whom I formed and made. A fundamental reason for existence is for, is, to, is for God, is to worship him and display his glory. Marriage is not the pinnacle of our existence. And like one of my girls said to me, it's not the be-all and end-all. 
Our deepest need is God, and nothing, no one else can fulfill that need. No fellow human being can make us complete. Neither can any other human fulfill our personal, emotional, or spiritual well-being. And so if you are looking to our spouses to provide our reason for being, or our hope for living, or the joy our soul craves, then we're looking in the wrong direction and we'll be disappointed. This is our God need. Our identity, our satisfaction, our fulfillment is found in God and is rooted in Him alone. And it's not tied to our marriages or who we are married to. And this should not be mere words that we say. This should be reflected in our priorities and choices, in the way we live our lives. They should truly reflect who we are living for. And we need to help one another remember this. And so practically it means prioritizing our times of devotion with God and our relationship with God. It means encouraging one another to do the same. It means whatever season you are at, God comes first. We prioritize him first. We make things work. We encourage and enable one another to be all God has intended us to be. For, for us, this was a choice. This was a decision we made even before children came, that God came first. And so when they arrived, we just had to adapt to the situation, not the other way around. And from time to time, we take time out to ask each other questions how we're doing in God and to encourage one another in the gifting and callings that God has called us to. And practically, this means also praying for your spouse. I know there's probably a long list of things you want God to do in your spouse's life, right? However, I think the most important prayer you can pray for your spouse is that they love Jesus more. Not that they love you more. Because guess what? As they love Jesus more, their desire will be to please him and to live for his glory. Their desire will be to do his word. And guess what his word says? Love your wife. And so, when wives pray for your husband that they love Jesus more so they can love you more. I know from my own personal experience that when I'm not in um, a good place, when I neglect my fellowship with God, and my love for him is not overflowing. Life becomes very tedious. I get very easily irritated and everyone is very annoying. Um, and so husbands, pray for your wives that they will be fully devoted to Jesus. Because once they're devoted, fully devoted, it leads to a desire to want to please God. And it overflows into every area of their relationships, especially their love and devotion for you. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, will bear much food for apart from me you can do nothing so we can't do marriage without God he is the fountain of life and it's in him that we see light um, so the other bit we want to look at is um, continues to live in unity to maintain a united front that has to be you know you can tell if you're living in a united front with your wife God's intention is that from the beginning um, Genesis 2.24, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold, to, hold fast to his wife, and, and they shall be, become one flesh. Notice that it's, it's, the, it's the man that should hold fast to the wife, not the other way around. Marriage is about um, moving from a mindset, mindset of me and mine to be ours. We need to think about I mean, I understand practically in the, what some of these things is not practical for if you're in a relationship that the other party is not a Christian, doesn't share the same persuasion with you. Uh, uh, um, this particularly might not be relevant to you, but we should, we should be people like in Psalm 133 verse 1. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers do it together in, in unity. 
it's something that you could know. Ephesians 4, 26, 27 um, it tells us that, that we, should, we should be angry, but we should sin not. Don't let the sun go over your anger. And, and don't, 27 says, do not allow the, the devil room into opportunity into your, into your life, essentially. That's what he's saying. So it's our responsibility to make sure that we're protecting our unified front. Um, there's a story in, in Acts, Acts um, chapter 18. We haven't got time to go into that. About uh, Aquila and Priscilla. The couple mentioned they serve the Lord alongside each other um, in a significant way. Um, in Romans 16, 3 to 5, it says to greet um, uh, greet uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches um, of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epatos, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. So even as married couple, our homes should be open um, to, we, we should pastor people in our homes. We should discover what our gift in our as couple and to help other people. We should look out, not just for married people, single people, whatever. That's, that's what makes the family work. Our homes should be open to each other. And um, uh, yeah, So we should basically make sure that communication is ongoing and that... Um, uh, and that would discover what is good for each other as a couple. The thing is, living in unity is a choice. Because you live in the same house does not guarantee that you're going to be one. We have to fight for unity. And we also know that our unity is always a target of attack for the enemy. Um, Mark 3.25 says, A house divided against itself cannot stand. And the enemy knows scriptures, you know. You know, he quoted scriptures to Jesus. So the enemy knows what the Bible says. So his tactic is always to bring disunity and discord in our homes. And so we always should be alert and on guard to guard against this unity. And we need to make an intentional choice to be shaped by the word of God and protect unity in our homes. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to counsel and soften our hearts. We need to make the choice to be the peacemaker. Be the one to say sorry first, again. I don't know how it works in your household. Who says sorry first? Get. <laughs> in my household, well, God has changed me a lot. Um, when you first got married, it was a difficult thing to say sorry, especially if I thought I was right, and I was always right. Um, so, <laughs> but that's why the Holy Spirit changes you as a person, and He just um, does a thing in your heart. Marriage is such a wonderful place for the Holy Spirit to change you as a person. And so, yes, and so we say sorry again and again. And... Um, the thing is also about submitting to, to your husband and husband loving their wives. This is countercultural and it doesn't come easily, but we need to learn how it works in our homes. Um, it's not every time that you, you will agree with your husband on something, but it doesn't mean that you always have to do a tantrum. Um, you learn that the very hard way. Um, in spite of our differing opinions, we need to learn how to get on. We need to make a choice to be together, to work together for the sake of our shared purpose, which is to love God and honor him and bring him glory. And we also live with a greater vision by faith. Um, our marriages is not just about us. It's for the glory of God. 
And I hope as a, as a married couple, you have a vision for your marriage, not the fantasies we talked about earlier, but, um, but expectations of faith for your home. Um, but this, whatever the vision is, it needs to be enlarged because it's not just about you and your family. The vision for our marriages need to be fueled by vision from the Bible. We need to have a clear perspective of the story God tells so that we can live in it. Marriage is not ultimate. It's a sign and a shadow of the higher reality. And the essence of our marriage is to display the covenant-keeping love between Christ and his church. Our marriages are signposts. And so understanding that we're part of a bigger family, that we're living stones set to build up a spiritual house for God, changes our mindset about marriage. We understand that we are not existing in isolation. And so the enemy's strategy is to make us ineffective. And one of his tactics is to weaken us on the home front. Because once we are weak on the home front, we can't really do much for Jesus. The church is under attack. And so we need to be on our guard. We need to be a people who walk by faith and not by sight. Our faith is not just for Sundays. It should be a reality in our homes. Um, it's, it's, we put on the whole armor of God. We take a stand for God in our marriages. We take hold of the word of God. We pray for one another. We make a choice to believe God for breakthrough, even when things are tough. We also make a choice not to give up or throw in the towel. And so what is the secret for a great marriage? She's in that, that we start to talk about um, great communication and all and money and time management and all those great things, but even as important as they are. Um, but. Um. Wherever your marriage is today, we just want to encourage you that um, what makes a difference is you don't have to beat yourself for the head. You don't have to condemn yourself. The gospel is the initial. The, the, the gospel tells us we're a new, new creation in Christ Jesus. So no matter where you are today, something new can be birthed. We're forgiven people. Not only has God forgiven us, we are able to forgive one another in our marriages. We are accepted. I mean, we don't have to depend on our spouse to accept us. The most important person to accept us is the Lord. Once, if he's accepted us, then our spouse will accept us. Um, sin, we're no, lo we no longer under the rule of sin. We're under grace. Sin will not have dominion over us. We have the power to break the power of sin. We have hope for tomorrow. We have a servant, God, who's God of hope. Wherever your marriage is, God can turn things around as you submit to him. Christ um, lives in us by his Holy Spirit. So we have the spirit of the living God to help us and we have the power to fight and overcome every form of temptation. Amen. We also have a living counselor. We have a helper who lives in us and is always with us. John 14, 26 talks about the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name. What a privilege to have a helper who's with you all the time, a teacher who teaches you. I mean, I remember when we first got married, um, I had no practical reference point to what marriage was supposed to look like. Um, and I did not have marriage counseling because obviously he was here and I was in Nigeria and then I came here to join him. And coming into a new country, I didn't really have many friends as well. So it was a time of just learning to do this thing and leaning on the Holy Spirit to really help us. And so the Holy Spirit is the one that comes alongside. He knows our hearts. He speaks to us. He convicts us. You know, when things go wrong and you're just being difficult, you don't want to say sorry. He's the one that comes and says, you need to go and apologize. You're being stubborn. So we need to develop our relationship with the Holy Spirit and pay more attention to what he's telling us to do. We come into marriage with great expectations. And then reality kicks in. 
conflicts begin to arise at every level. We disagree about silly things, like leaving the kitchen untidy or the bathroom untidy. And we also disagree about massive things like how to raise our children, money, and the list is endless. But being able to resolve these conflicts is an essential part of maintaining unity in the home. Being in a knot of the world looks like allowing the word of God to be the lens through which we view everything and relying on the Holy Spirit to teach our hearts to help us resolve conflicts. Being in a knot of the world also looks like not allowing our emotions and our feelings to rule us because they are not our God. It means not always having our way. It means allowing the love of Christ to control us. It means yielding to the Holy Spirit for the fruit of his spirit to be evident in our lives. And this doesn't mean we would always get it right. We would always mess up time and time again. However, when we do, we are quick to repent. Always eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Aware that our marriage is a threefold cord that cannot be easily broken. That it's not just about us, but about God in us. Conflicts don't go away. I can tell you that after 28 years, 28 years we still have conflicts. However, with time, we grow, in our, we grow in our understanding of how best to deal and resolve them. And we don't sweep them under the carpet because guess what? Whatever you sweep under the carpet has a funny way of coming to bite you later on in life. For us, one of the things that we really used to struggle with is when I'm telling Dio something, instead of him to listen, he tells me, he tries to tell me what I've done wrong. And then he tells me I have a bad attitude of not responding well. <laughs> so, um, but we, we, found, we finally found a way to resolve these issues. But these things don't come, they don't happen overnight. So it goes away just like that. You need to keep working at it until you actually understand where you both stand along these issues. And being in, not of the world, also means being authentic. We don't fake things. There's no room for pretense. We choose honesty with one another. We choose not to be strangers living in the same household. We talk about deep and difficult things. We ask each other questions. And it also means if you're struggling in and not of the world, means you ask for help. You don't just pretend that things are going okay when they're not. And for, for some of us culturally, this is something that's difficult and something we need to push through on. Our identity is not rooted in our marriages, it's rooted in Christ. And so if you're struggling, you need to tell somebody and ask for help. We need to have accountable friendships where we can be, where we can be open and talk about what's going on in our lives. And being in a knot of the world also looks like realizing who the real enemy is. And making a choice not to allow our homes to be the battleground against one another, but against the enemy. God designed marriage to be the lifelong union of one man and one woman working towards a shared goal, not just towards mere happiness. And once we've identified that goal, which is to bring glory to God, we need to align our lives to live accordingly. And so as we bring this to a conclusion, we need to just think about next steps. So what do we want to take home from today? I think it would be good for us as couples to take time to stop and think together and ask ourselves questions. To think about actually who is a major influence in our marriage? Is it God or is it something else? To ask ourselves, are there areas of recurring conflicts or issues that we have buried that we need to talk about because they keep reoccurring? Are there vulnerable areas of attack in our marriage liable to disunity? How can we spur one another to serve Jesus together? God has been speaking to us during our times of worship. There's words came about people living in a fog, um, people grieving, maybe it's over your marriage tears, 
and God talked to us about restoration, and we really believe that God wants to restore marriages. At the very beginning of this year, when we were talking about breakthrough, there was a word that God wants to restore, especially marriages. And God is serious about our marriages. And even this morning before I came, God just reminded me that he's our father and that he sees us. And lo and behold, a word came to us this morning that God sees. So God sees what you are going through in your homes. Nobody else might say it, but God sees it. But are you going to bring that to God this morning? Are you going to open up your heart and say, God, my life is for you, for your glory. It's not about me or my partner or my, my husband. It's about you. I need to live for your glory. And it's not about taking the log out of my husband's eyes. I need to take the rainforest. I like the way James put it last week. The rainforest out of my own eye so I can see the speck in my husband's eye. So I need to work on myself, on my relationship with you, so that I can be the best I can be in my marriage. Amen.